Chapter Seven of Captain's Courageous. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Captain's Courageous by Rudyard Kipling, Chapter Seven. Next day they fell in with more sails, all circling slowly from the east northerly towards the west. But just when they expected to make the shoals by the Virgin, the fog shut down, and they anchored, surrounded by the tinklings of invisible bells. There was not much fishing, but occasionally Dory met Dory in the fog and exchanged news. That night, a little before dawn, Dan and Harvey, who had been sleeping most of the day, tumbled out to hook fried pies. There was no reason why they should not have taken them openly, but they tasted better so, and it made the cook angry. The heat and smell below drove them on deck with their plunder, and they found Disco at the bell, which he handed over to Harvey. "'Keep her going,' said he. "'I mistrust I hear something. If it's anything, I'm best where I am so as to get at things.' It was a forlorn little jingle. The thick air seemed to pinch it off, and in the pauses Harvey heard the muffled shriek of a liner's siren, and he knew enough of the banks to know what that meant. It came to him, with horrible distinctness, how a boy in a cherry-coloured jersey—he despised fancy blazers now with all a fisherman's contempt—how an ignorant, rowdy boy had once said it would be great if a steamer ran down a fishing-boat. That boy had a state-room with a hot and cold bath, and spent ten minutes each morning picking over a gilt-edged bill of fare. And that same boy—no, his very much older brother—was up at four of the dim dawn in streaming, crackling oilskins, hammering, literally for the dear life, on a bell smaller than the steward's breakfast bell, while somewhere close at hand a thirty-foot steel stern was storming along at twenty miles an hour. The bitterest thought of all was that there were folks asleep in dry, upholstered cabins who would never learn that they had massacred a boat before breakfast. So Harvey rang the bell. "'Yes, they slowed down one turn of their blamed propeller,' said Dan, applying himself to Manuel's conch, "'for to keep inside the law, and that's consoling when we're all at the bottom. Hark to her, she's a humper!' Oh went the siren. Tingle, tingle, tink, went the bell. Grrrr! went the conch, while sea and sky were all milled up in milky fog. Then Harvey felt that he was near a moving body, and found himself looking up, and up, at the wet edge of a cliff-like bow, leaping, it seemed, directly over the schooner. A jaunty little feather of water curled in front of it, and as it lifted it showed a long ladder of Roman numerals, XV, XVI, XVII, XVIII, and so forth, on a salmon-coloured gleaming side. It tilted forward and downward with a heart-stilling The ladder disappeared. A line of brass-rimmed portholes flashed past. A jet of steam puffed in Harvey's helplessly uplifted hands. A spout of hot water roared along the rail of the We're Here. 
and the little schooner staggered and shook in a rush of screw-torn water as a liner's stern vanished in the fog. Harvey got ready to faint or be sick, or both, when he heard a crack like a trunk thrown on a sidewalk, and, all small in his ear, a faraway telephone voice drawling, "'Heave to! You've sunk us!' "'Is it us?' he gasped. "'No! Boat out yonder! Ring! We're going to look!' said Dan, running out a dory. In half a minute all except Harvey, Penn, and the cook were overside and away. Presently a schooner's stump foremast, snapped clean across, drifted past the bows. Then an empty green dory came by, knocking on the weir-hearer's side, as though she wished to be taken in. Then followed something, face down in a blue jersey. But it was not the whole of a man. Penn changed color, and caught his breath with a click. Harvey pounded despairingly at the bell, for he feared they might be sunk at any minute, and he jumped at Dan's hail as the crew came back. "'The Jenny Cushman!' said Dan hysterically. "'Cut clean in half! Ground up and trampled on at that! Not a quarter of a mile away! Dad's got the old man! There ain't anyone else, and there was a son, too! Oh, Harve! Harve! I can't stand it! I've seen—' He dropped his head on his arms and sobbed, while the others dragged a grey-headed man aboard. "'What did you pick me up for?' the stranger groaned. "'Disco, what did you pick me up for?' Disco dropped a heavy hand on his shoulder, for the man's eyes were wild and his lips trembled as he stared at the silent crew. Then up and spoke Pennsylvania Pratt who was also Haskins or Rich or McVitty when Uncle Salters forgot, and his face was changed on him, from the face of a fool to the countenance of an old, wise man, and he said in a strong voice, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I was, I am, a minister of the gospel. Leave him to me. Oh, you be, be you, said the man. Then pray my son back to me. Pray back a nine-thousand-dollar boat and a thousand quintal of fish. If you'd let me alone, my widow could have gone on to the Provident and worked for her board, and never known, and never known. Now I'll have to tell her. There ain't nothing to say, said Disco. Better lie down a piece, Jason Ollie. When a man has lost his only son, his summer's work, and his means of livelihood, in thirty counted seconds, it is hard to give consolation. "'All Gloucester men, wasn't they?' said Tom Platt, fiddling helplessly with a dory becket. "'Oh, that don't make no odds,' said Jason, wringing the wet from his beard. "'I'll be rowing summer boarders around East Gloucester this fall.' He rolled heavily to the rail, singing, Happy birds that sing and fly round thine altars almost high. Come with me, come below, said Penn, as though he had a right to give orders. Their eyes met and fought for a quarter of a minute. I don't know who you be, but I'll come, said Jason submissively. Maybe I'll get back some of the some of the nine thousand dollars. 
Penn led him into the cabin, and slid the door behind. "'That ain't Penn!' cried Uncle Salters. "'It's Jacob Boiler, and—he's remembered Johnstown. I never seed such eyes in any livin' man's head. What's to do now? What'll I do now?' They could hear Penn's voice and Jason's together. Then Penn's went on alone, and Salters slipped off his hat, for Penn was praying. Presently the little man came up the steps, huge drops of sweat on his face, and looked at the crew. Dan was still sobbing by the wheel. "'He don't know us,' Salter groaned. "'It's all to do over again, checkers and everything. And what'll he say to me?' Penn spoke. They could hear that it was to strangers. "'I have prayed,' said he. Our people believe in prayer. I have prayed for the life of this man's son. Mine were drowned before my eyes, she and my eldest, and the others. Shall a man be more wise than his Maker? I prayed never for their lives, but I have prayed for this man's son, and he will surely be sent him." Salters looked pleadingly at Penn to see if he remembered. "'How long have I been mad?' Penn asked suddenly. His mouth was twitching. "'Pshaw, Penn, you weren't never mad,' Salters began, "'only a little distracted-like.' "'I saw the houses strike the bridge before the fires broke out. I do not remember any more. How long ago is that?' "'I can't stand it! I can't stand it!' cried Dan, and Harvey whimpered in sympathy. Uh, "'About five year,' said Disco, in a shaking voice. "'Then I have been a charge on someone for every day of that time. Who was the man?' Disco pointed to Salters. "'You ain't! You ain't!' cried the sea-farmer, twisting his hands together. "'You've more'n earned your keep twice told, and there's money owing you, pen besides half of my quarter-share in the boat, which is yours for value received. You are good men. I can see that in your faces, but— Mother have mercy, whispered Long Jack, and he's been with us all these trips. He's clean bewitched. A schooner's bell struck up alongside, and a voice hailed through the fog. Oh, Disco! Heard about the Jenny Cushman? They have found his son, cried Penn. Stand you still and see the salvation of the Lord. Got Jason aboard here, Disco answered, but his voice quavered. There, warn't anyone else? We've found one, though. Run across him, snarled up in a mess of lumber that might have been a forecastle. His head's cut some. Who is he? The we're here's heartbeats answered one another. "'Guess it's young Ollie,' the voice drawled. Penn raised his hands and said something in German. Harvey could have sworn that a bright sun was shining upon his lifted face, but the drawl went on. "'Say, you fellers guide us considerable the other night.' "'We don't feel like guying any now,' said Disco. "'I know it. But to tell the honest truth, we were kinder, 
kinder driftin' when we run again young Ollie. It was the irrepressible Carrie Pitman, and a roar of unsteady laughter went up from the deck of the Weir here. Hadn't you bout well send the old man aboard? We're running in for more bait and ground tackle. Guess you won't want him anyway, and this blame windless work makes us short handed. We'll take care of him. He's married my woman's aunt. I'll give you anything in the boat, said Troop. Don't want nothing, less maybe an anchor that'll hold. Say, young Ollie's getting kind of balky and excited. Send the old man along. Penn waked him from his stupor of despair, and Tom Platt rowed him over. He went away without a word of thanks, not knowing what was to come, and the fog closed over all. And now, said Penn, drawing a deep breath as though about to preach, and now, the erect body sank like a sword driven home into the scabbard. The light faded from the overbright eyes. The voice returned to its usual pitiful little titter. And now, said Pennsylvania Pratt, do you think it's too early for a little game of checkers, Mr. Salters? The very thing, the very thing I was going to say myself, cried Salters promptly. It beats all, Penn, how you get on to what's in a man's mind. The little fellow blushed and meekly followed Salters forward. Up anchor! Hurry! Let's quit these crazy waters! shouted Disco, and never was he more swiftly obeyed. Now what in creation do you suppose is the meaning of that all? said Long Jack, when they were working through the fog once more, damp, dripping, and bewildered. The way I sense it, said Disco, at the wheel, is this, the Jenny Cushman business coming on an empty stomach. He, we saw one of them go by, sobbed Harvey. And that, of course, kind of hove him out of water. Julek running a craft ashore hove him right out, I take it, to remembering Johnstown and Jacob Boiler and such like reminiscences. Well... Consolin' Jason there held him up a piece, same as shorin' up a boat. Then, bein' weak, them props slipped and slipped, and he slided down the ways, and now he's water-borne again. That's how I sense it. They decided that Disco was entirely correct. "'Twould have broke Salters all up,' said Long Jack. "'If Penn had stayed, Jacob Bullerin' Did you see his face when Penn asked who he'd been charged on all these years? How is it, Salters? Asleep, dead asleep. Turned in like a child, Salters replied, tiptoeing aft. There won't be no grub till he wakes, natural. Did you ever see such a gift in prayer? He everlastingly hiked young Ollie out of the ocean. That's my belief. Jason was terrible proud of his boy, and I mistrusted all along twas a judgment on worship and vain idols. There's others just as sot, said Disco. That's different, Salters retorted quickly. Penn's not all cocked, and I ain't only but doing my duty by him. They waited, those hungry men, three hours, till Penn reappeared with a smooth face and a blank mind. He said he believed that he had been dreaming. Then he wanted to know why they were so silent, and they could not tell him. 
Disco worked all hands mercilessly for the next three or four days, and when they could not go out, turned them into the hold to stack the ship's stores into smaller compass, to make more room for the fish. The packed mass ran from the cabin partition to the sliding door behind the forecastle stove, and Disco showed how there is great art in stowing cargo so as to bring a schooner to her best draft. The crew were thus kept lively till they recovered their spirits, and Harvey was tickled with a rope's end by Long Jack for being, as the Galway man said, sorrowful as a sick cat over what couldn't be helped. He did a great deal of thinking in those dreary days, and told Dan what he thought, and Dan agreed with him, even to the extent of asking for fried pies instead of hooking them. But a week later the two nearly upset the Hattie S. in a wild attempt to stab a shark with an old bayonet tied to a stick. The grim brute rubbed alongside the dory begging for small fish, and between the three of them it was a mercy they all got off alive. At last, after playing Blind Man's Bluff in the fog, there came a morning when Disco shouted down the forecastle, "'Hurry, boys, we're in town!' End of chapter.